Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. If you like our show, you're going to love your welcome with Shale Sonnen on Podcast One. Join the UFC superstar as he interviews the hottest names in MMA about the world of competitive fighting and much more. Check out Your Welcome with Shale Sonnen every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. The May 9th edition of the PFF Forecast, we are going to talk about pass rush versus coverage in a very in-depth fashion. We're going to talk about some, some Colts. Uh, on the rise we've got a question from the dark web and then our preview slash review the miami dolphins let's rock you know i i'm shocked that as we rocked you didn't uh wear your new shirt oh you mean this shirt? Yeah, this shirt. I bought it for you because your favorite band is Whitesnake. And I we just, went to the Whitesnake concert last Monday with Neil. It was pretty great. Do the you sh- want to give a quick review of how that went? Uh, yeah, it was fun. Neil had a great time. We drank uh, wine out of a like a water bottle. Mm-hmm. That was pretty solid. The The drive there and back was amazing. Uh, oh, the music. The music was great, too. <laughs> uh, you know, Um uh, there were multiple times that I looked over at you and tears rolling down your cheeks, glistening. Uh, we were the two youngest people there. By a country mile. By a good mile. It, it sort was- of reminded me, you remember in the, the movie I Love You, Man, when uh, uh, Seagal's character goes, you know, I call these women Bowsers because they look exactly like their dog. A lot of women had that hair at the White Snake concert. It was kind of like the drummer's hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a pretty great, a great scene. Live music is generally fun in most cases, and this was fun. The nice thing was that they knew it was a Monday concert, and they're like, "All right, we're going to keep this nice and snappy." And they have bottles of wine for twenty six bucks. Which, if you were going to have an event, sell bottles of wine for twenty six bucks. That is a good move. So I got you the shirt to commemorate that experience, and it's a child-friendly shirt, which is the best part about it. Exactly. So, all right. We're going to talk about the pass rush versus coverage. Did you blot it out, Matt? In a, yeah, you might fuzzy it out. In just a second, um, if you haven't read it now, is a time to go read it. Um, just Google pass rush coverage PFF, and um, it was posted a couple days ago, and you'll want to read it before you listen to this so that you've got a, a sense of what we're talking about. First thing, though, you, in addition to loving White Snake, have a love for the Indianapolis Colts. Please I explain. do. Um, well, I like the way that they're building their roster. Mm. I like the way... So we talked about last week, I believe, the trading, like the trade back that they had that was right. you know positive EV. Um I think we'll talk about this maybe a little bit later, but this idea of like taking advantage of some of the biases in the draft. So we kind of found at least a few multiple examples of teams without first round picks were then subsequently trading up in either the second or third round, like right. the Indianapolis or sorry, uh, uh, New Orleans this year, Chicago this year, Kansas City the last two years without a first round pick, sort of like chasing uh, in the subsequent years. So you find those biases with these teams that are waiting a day and a half to pick a player and like want to just trade up 10 spots and you sort of like get them. Uh, so that was, that was interesting. Um, so I just like, you know, they have 50 million or so a little bit more actually in cap space. They didn't like go all in on free agents. They got Justin Houston, Devin Funches. They resigned, I believe Glowinski. They have a franchise quarterback. They traded back. They got, you know, they've gotten, uh, Rocky us in in the draft. I just like the way that they're positioning themselves in the AFC for when eventually the Patriots decide they're done. You bring up the Patriots, and that's really interesting because when I see the way that the Colts are building their team, it reminds me a lot of how the Patriots do it. They're not they're not going out making any huge splash plays. They've got a lot of players that know how to do their job. They've defined some roles that players can succeed in last year the fact that their defense wasn't a total disaster was a complete shock and a big reason for that is that they created a scheme and put players in a position to succeed and if you just do that 
and you have a really good quarterback, you're going to do really well. You're going to have this like baseline, like the you know, it'd be like a fixed cost, but in this case, it's a fixed benefit. You have a fixed benefit of six and a half, seven wins, just right off the top. Right, and then you can go get spanked repeatedly in Kansas City. <laughs> right. So, and th- and that's again, like I've talked about this, you know, with you, and also you know, on Kansas City Radio. I think if you're a Chiefs fan, Chris Ballard, former There's Kansas City thoughts. executive like sort of doing things a little bit differently than Brett Veach, who we worked with while at Kansas City. At the, in the playoff game last year, we both predicted that, you know, we had like the Chiefs first half over or something yep. like that. Like we knew the Chiefs were going to sort of like, you know, kill the Colts. But like the question was like five years from now, how does that how does that power struggle play out? And I think right now, even though it pains me to say this, I think the Colts uh, are going to to me, I think they're the kind of the favorite to be the next Patriots um, just because of all the things, you know, like the quarterback, but also the coaches in place, uh, the defense is, you know, cheap and in place. Uh, and, uh, you know, the offensive, you know, the Frank Reich, the head coach and offensive coordinator is like extremely good as well. So I don't know. It's kind of fun to look and kind of fun to predict. We'll see in five years from now how, how stupid I look. Probably pretty stupid, but let's play. Let's look at the other side of that because a lot of people will say, well, you know, Chiefs have Mahomes. You'd probably they rather have Mahomes. It's true. You'd rather have Mahomes than, than Andrew Luck. And I, there's a team that comes to mind. So you say, okay, the Colts are my favorite to be the next Patriots. Who are the Chiefs the next version of? Can you guess who I'm thinking of? I think the Chiefs are the next Colts from Manning and Manning's era. Interesting. Okay. I really like that. I was going to go with the Saints and Drew Brees, where they've got this amazing quarterback. They're probably always going to have a great offense. You're going to spot six and, se- six and a half, seven wins, and sometimes no more if your defense is that bad. And, and there were some low points for the Saints that, the Chiefs probably can avoid just by virtue of not being a complete disaster. Mm-hmm. But it, it is interesting. We're going to talk about the pass rush versus coverage thing. If they just continue hemorrhaging points to other teams, it's going to be a yeah. real struggle for they, them. They, the Chiefs have a nice – they're very much like the Saints in the, in the offensive coordinator realm as well, or the coach, head coach that calls plays realm. Sure. The Chiefs have a built-in advantage in the AFC West in which their home games are played in central time zone. And so the Raiders – yeah, the Raiders, Chargers, and uh, you know, uh, and Denver all have to lose body clock time to play there. So it's it's an interesting built-in advantage for them. I don't see them going being worse than eight and eight at any given time. But if you have Pat Mahomes and you go eight and eight, it's a that's a pretty big fail. That's that's a huge failure. And the Tyreek Hill thing we can't gloss over. I, did, I don't know if we talked about this last week, did we? Uh, Tyreek Hill. We talked about the the Chiefs Super Bowl odds going up or down True. a little bit, and the the price going up a little bit. That can't be ignored. I mean, the the simple fact that it is really hard to get playmakers of that caliber. Mm-hmm. You can't expect Pat Mahomes to just absolutely annihilate the league as he did last year every single season. It is going to going to be tougher sledding depending on how things break that way. Um, but that is a you always want to try and find these teams a year in advance. You never want to be late to the show. And and I think we're a little late on the Colts. To be, to be honest, though, like last season, no. we were banging the drum We'd like for the over. Last year. Yeah, yeah, we were banging the drum for the over. Um, They're a sneaky play, uh, Super Bowl. Yes, and last year they were a sneaky playoff team that we yeah. were talking about last year. I would say, though, like, that's where I fall short. I, I met, that's why I make the window a little bigger. I think that their Super Bowl odds and their win totals are a little inflated mm-hmm. based upon their finish last year. I'm more looking at like, kind of like the, the, the broad. Like, they're going to be a force in the AFC for a while, in my opinion. Cool. All right, it's time for coverage versus pass rush. Um, I would say... Two years ago, I'm living in uh, D.C. You're over in the great frozen plains of mm-hmm. La Crosse, Wisconsin. And most of our conversations were had online. And you uh, and I were on the phone. And we were just sort of starting to get access to a lot of the play-by-play raw data, test out a bunch of different things that, you know what, we had always wanted to look at, right? I think we bonded over our desire to, to test these things out. And you posited the question, like, what do you think? Do you think pass rush or coverage is more important? And we had this debate. And I think both of us were like, I, I, you know, it's tough. I think I'm going to have to side with pass rush. Yep. Let's find out. And 
two years later, we've had this debate a hundred different ways with a hundred different people. It is one of the more tenuous conversations out there because for ages and ages and ages, football has been won in the trenches and the pass rush is a great example of that. And we just published this article where we really disseminate the findings and the different sides of the argument in as many ways as possible. So let's start at the very beginning with sort of the two prongs of how we can look at this, right? There's, it's, it's not just one measure. There's mm-hmm. a couple of different measures for pass rush and coverage. Yeah, I mean, so there's PFF grades, there's pressure, there's, you know, passes broken up, passes influenced, there's PFF grades and coverage, there's PFF grades and coverage for individual players, there's PFF grades and coverage for teams, and, you know, this is a more nuanced argument than does do running backs matter, or do does the running game win football games, because there are some things that pressure has for it, uh, you know, a and I think this is a testament to the PFF grading system. Pass rushers grade really well, grade really well the next year on average. Our, the correlation coefficients are like, you know, in the, in pretty high relative to anything, you know, we, we look at. Whereas in coverage, it's, it's, it's not low. Like football, like we're dealing with correlation coefficients that are in the point threes all the time, but that's how it is for coverage players. Um, but ultimately, when you look at like whether it's expected points, whether you look at its team wins, whether you look at success rate allowed defensively in the pass game, in, in fact, like I, I actually looked at this earlier, success rate allowed in the run game is more affected by coverage than run defense grades, right? So it's like it's coverage is this thing that like influences everything, um, and and that's like where and so if that's true, right? You could look backwards and say, okay. Coverage explains what happened last year the best. That's somewhat unsatisfying because, as I wrote in the running backs article, the if you look at a team that ran the ball extremely well one game, I'll go back and say the running back graded well. Like that doesn't mean the running back grading well affects. But then you try to like project that forward, and it's almost no correlation between how good the runner is and how good the running game will be. And so, to the person that says, "Okay, but yeah, but your grades and coverage are unstable," then okay, if they're explanatory but not predictive, there's a point. But they end up being predictive, right? The, the R squared is, is, is you know, very non-trivially non-zero uh, in the case of a coverage and actually near zero for pass rush. So uh, that's, you know, that's where our conclusions are. And I, and, I, and I think, again, we leave a lot of space in the article for this idea that we could be a, do a better job of tracking coverage. We could do a better job of, of pinning down what these things are. Um, but ultimately, right now, the way that we have it, as, as our friend Josh Hermsmeyer said on, on Twitter, like the sausage is good. We're just going to end there. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are a couple things that are super important about this conversation that oftentimes lead people down the wrong path. And the first one is this. We often get caught up in the success of a player or the success of a unit and its ability to be successful again. Yeah. And that is what pass rush has going for it. We can do a better job of saying this pass rusher is going to be good next year. And this pass rush unit is going to be good next year. But that, you don't get wins for accumulating sacks, right? And so the question of which one best predicts how many wins you will have is the important part Mm -hmm. of this conversation. And so pass rush, it, it doesn't not explain how many games you win the following season. It just doesn't do it anywhere near as well as coverage does so that it shouldn't be formed by in a binary fashion where coverage is all that matters pass rush doesn't matter pass rush does matter but coverage matters more and significantly more so and so that that is the first thing and then i think the second part of this conversation is just because one matters more doesn't mean you can't still have a really good discussion about a, what do you do with that information? Yeah. There's a whole team building conversation that I want to get into in, in a second. But then the, the next thing that I want to talk about, which is what what is the relationship between pass rush and coverage? Because I think it's one of the first things people bring up. Yep. And it's not impossible to test this out. Right. So from, I mean, yeah. So just to get to the correlation perspective, like we have looked at the play level as well. And like, you know, a plus grade in coverage is just worth more from an EPA level it is correlated with pass rush, but like there, it's also reversely so, right? Yes. And like, and and 
and the way that we watch the game, the broadcast angle, all that kind of stuff, the way that NFL Films has glorified the pass rush, the way that quarterbacks historically have been terrible and offenses have been terrible at dealing with them, in conjunction with the distribution of all pass attempts, which is skewing more towards first downs than it was historically, pressure rates on first down are lower than that on third down, like... It's our bias that's coming in here. They are correlated, but you can make a significant argument to say that good coverage gives pass rush a little bit more time to get home, which in turn affects coverage, right? So that's like really the only loop where one of them shows up twice, and that it's coverage in that case. And yeah, we're more than open to the fact that if you pressure a quarterback, it's going to cause worse, co- you know, worse coverage on the back end to be more successful. But it's also the reverse, and what we've and so as we have sort of two causal you know, sort of hypotheses, you go to the data and say which one predicts better and it ends up being coverage. And that's, to me, like that's the most level-headed approach to it. As long as you come back and do what we did, which is say, okay, let's, let's contextualize this by saying we know that coverage is unstable. So if you're building a team, if there is no guarantee that if you get seven coverage players and they're all, and you think they're all good, that you're going to be successful. What we're trying to say is don't necessarily just build a pass rush and say we can scheme coverage later. That's not necessarily true either. Well, and that was the broadcast thing is really fascinating. And that's the lens through which we watch the game. And so a lot of the way that we think about the game, and that's why the job of the telecast and the broadcast is so important because they tell the story for mm-hmm. you. And to you know, a guy like Fred Gadelli, who we've had on the podcast and is an innovator in that realm, he loves the pass rush. Right. Mm-hmm. But he's done a great job of trying to show when coverage really matters. Right. They have coverage sack on NBC Sunday Night Football. Now, we still don't get enough of it because of the angle of the normal view. But yeah. there are passing is now such a predominant part of the game on first and second down. EPA passing on first and second down so much higher than it is on third down. Pressure rates are lower. Yep. And so all of a sudden there's going to be a, a bigger and bigger emphasis on the only part of that the defense can really control, which is when a pass is coming out quickly, it's coverage. And so there are a lot of ways to bring up useful, understandable examples that don't involve correlation coefficients and predictability and all this stuff to have this conversation. So before we get there, though, um, a friend of ours, Joe Banner, uh, questioned the subjectiveness of the grades. And I went after him a little bit on Twitter. I'm not someone that does that very often. No, you aren't. That's not my, that's not my thing. I'm never going to go after someone with, you know, like 150 followers or, you know, just someone that's angry. Not my style. The reason I got kind of hyped up about this is that Joe Banner is a guy who's been in a position of power. He has a fairly large following and he's, and he's a, not an idiot. He's not an idiot. Yeah. And he's in a position to actually help the culture of growth and further learning and open-mindedness. And he came across, the way that he tweeted out about it was very close-minded and appealing to authorities of institution and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, I, I've talked to Joe Banner. We've, we've cleared the air. I've made an apology. He's made an apology. So we're not going to hate on, on Joe Banner here. Uh, but I want to address this question. Evan Silva had the same question for us, which is, okay, these grades are to a certain extent subjective as much as we have a rubric and stick to it. But that's not an issue. Well, and, and here's the thing. So, and, and this is where having folks like us in the room and having folks like us on Twitter talk through these things is important because, like, you're a mathematician, you know, I'm a mathematician, you're a mathematician, like, we've, we've dealt with, because, and this is all in all walks of life. If you're a Republican, if you're going to accept a Democrat, he or she has to be perfect at what they do. Yep. The first thing that the first th- thing that they do that they mess up, they're immediately disregarded. If you're an old school scout, to accept analytics would require analytics to be handed down to you from the hand of God, right? Not to, but and that's unfair, right? Like people who do math know that every single piece of data collected, like we're, this isn't pure mathematics, we're proving theorems, and like they have no applicability to the world. We get to build the axiom system, which again, subjective. The, we're dealing with data, we're dealing with models, and we're dealing with data collection. Every single piece of data that's collected by a human or a computer, we look at ESPN's password win weight, they have to determine how they classify a pressure which is subjective right like so every single piece of data collection is subjective and much like any other field 
the only way to determine if it's valid is not to say subjective, objective. It's to test it statistically. And that's what we've done. It's the same thing. GPAs, we both taught. As I've, ta- I've taught you know, thousands of students, the GPA that a student has is a subjective measure of their performance. Yes. You know, the ACT is a subjective measure of how smart a student is because you imply cultural effects into the test. You apply, you know, you, you apply like, you know, basically like which sort of like questions are weighted more than other questions. Like every single thing is subjective. The, 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 what you have to do is you have to see if there are statistical signals within them. Yards, I'm going to go all the way, right? I bet you many people would say, no, yards are objective. No, they're not. Brian Burke showed that referees put the ball at five-yard increments at higher rates than the other four yards in that interval. Subjective, this, we, uh, we give yards to certain players yeah. subjectively, right? The, the, if, I, if I came up to you and I said, hey, I have this super sub- this is just me, my intuition on every play telling you how well the players do, and it predicts wins better than anything else, guess what? You don't care that it's my subjectiveness. Everything is subjective, and what really matters is whether it's hard. You can't subjectively come up with a measure that's predictive. Try, right? Like That is the goal of PFF, honestly, is to best nail down the process because we believe the process is more predictive and then you than use the result. The, and then you use the, the, the power of large samples, use the power of consistency, and in some cases, because PFF has been around so long that you know our grading system before we had team clients, before we had media clients, is a little different in 08 than it is in 17. You... 18 and 19, you use statistical techniques to adjust for a year. Yep. Like there are, those exist, right? And the, the fact of the matter is, is again, like maybe we as a community need to be less hard on scouts, but it's sort of the same thing, right? Scouts provide their objective measure. Now, what we may not have done a great job at, at either as a football community or, and we don't have access to their grades and stuff, so it's not our fault as an analytics community. But the thing is, is like scouts' grades are subjective, but there's, I would bet my life on the fact that there's predictive power in them, yes. right? So it, it's the same thing. It's the difference between PFF and maybe scouts grades is scouts are basically assigning one number once to a player based upon processes that may or may not be the most robust, whereas we're applying multiple numbers on a player with a process that we think is more becoming more robust, and we're doing it a lot of times, and we allow the, the you know, Things like the central limit theorem to go to, to, to don't, put don't into play. There. You're gonna break up the birthday problem again. Yeah, we should do a podcast with the birthday problem. But but again, like this idea of subjective measures is not something that <clears throat> is not like it's not prohibitive. That, yes, that's you have important. to you have to see how good the predictive power of things are before you dismiss them. And anyone, and this is what got me so angry about what Joe Banner said is that he I had some tweet to the effect of it's subjective. I've worked with people from MIT and Penn. They'll tell you that you have to throw out all of that. And any mathematician that you talk to will simply tell you that that is flat out incorrect for all of the reasons that you mentioned. And and I would would venture to guess there are a couple things are true about what he said. I tweeted out the percentage of first down plays that are runs the other day. I could tweet out the percentage of first down plays that have pressure. Like – he was the GM until 2012. Right. If, if this study Different was era. done on data up until 2012, the conclusion very well could be different yes. because the league has evolved so much in a decade. The other thing that's true, probably true is that the person's conclusions were misinterpreted. We've had that happen in our, our building a ton, like where we either it's our fault for not stating our uncertainty or it's their fault for misinterpreting it. But like I can almost guarantee you that like something you know, was being misapplied in this particular instance. Absolutely. Okay. Let's jump into what I think is the fun part of this conversation. Want to break down for some people a, a useful interpretation of, of why this is the case, right? So why, how do I wrap my head around uh, coverage being more important to winning games than pass rushes? And to me, it comes down to the way that the game is played today, the quickness of throws, the ability to mitigate a pass rush with a quarterback that knows what he's doing yep. and the ultimate goal of winning a Super Bowl going through those good quarterbacks, the only place where you can actually make the biggest impact yep. is if you're the quarterback throwing 
or you are at the point where the catch needs to be made, and that's where coverage comes into yeah. play. And, this, and then uh, I'm going to let you have your time in just one second. The last thing that I have to add on there is that I think the conception or uh, the perception, sorry, of what happens when you have a great pass rush or a bad pass rush versus a great coverage play or a bad coverage play. Yeah aren't always considered so a great pass rush okay you could get a sack you might not though because a quarterback can throw it quickly yep. okay now if you have a bad pass rush okay but you don't have a chance at a sack but there's still another line of defense yes. now on the coverage side if you make a great coverage play zero yards or an interception if you make a yep. bad one you're yeah. probably getting roasted so to me those things can help you wrap your mind around you have to make the argument that if they're both true at the end points, that somehow there's some like, there's some cross. Right. You, you have to really jump yeah. across a very large yeah. river to make that uh, assumption. We, and we said this on the, on the video with Steve and Solomon, but like the fact is, is like the D, and we wrote about this in the article. This is part of the refrain that we had. Defense is a far less control about what happens than they think, right? Like even coverage. So we look at it, coverage can explain, you know, basically like 10% of EPA allowed defensively in the pass game yep. one year to the next. Cover, you know, r- pass rush does none, right? But you know, it, it, there, you're not talking about a ton of predictability here. And the thing is, is the one place where you are able to be on the offensive defensively is by forcing the quarterback to do things he, do- he doesn't want to do, which is hang on to the ball in many instances, right? If the quarterback wants to avoid your pressure, he can. He can, take, he can do what Brady did against the Chargers. He's going to do what Brady did against And I wouldn't make that Kansas absolute. I would, you know, sometimes you just can't. Yeah. But a lot of the time, yeah. the large sample, you can't. You put the game – you put the offense on the defensive when you can stop their receivers from getting open early. And like we looked at like, and that's what Belichick values when he had Brandon Browner, he had one job and that was to win in the first two seconds of a play. Like he obviously has Gilmore and all those folks, but again, coverage is the way that you put your defense on the offensive and that's offensive to many people because when we watch the game of football, we glory like, like my favorite Viking player for a long time, Chris Dolman was like a pass rush extraordinaire. Right. And like, like I just thought he affected offenses so much, right? But it was really Carl Lee and all these other guys in the background giving him that extra half a second to get to the quarterback. And, and we, it's just really interesting to think about it that way. One of the things that I also like to look at is what, what is the benefit of being in rhythm? And mm-hmm. our, our buddy Zach Robinson, who's now the assistant coach for our other buddy, Sean McVay, over in Los Angeles, um, when he put together this quarterback charting process with uh, Steve, they um, made sure that they tracked in-rhythm throws. And because Zach is so attuned to the quarterback position, he was able to make this rubric for that. And essentially, it's when the back foot hits, are you able to go where you want to go mm-hmm. or one hitch, go where you want to go. And pl- so quarterbacks throwing in-rhythm, b- being able to go where they want, yep. even when they're under pressure generates more value on an EPA per play basis than being in a clean pocket, no pressure, but not being able to throw in rhythm, right? So what might make that happen is good coverage. Yep. You can't go where you want to go with the ball. And um, to me, that is a nice way of, of sort of summing it up. Let's close out with – do you want to make one more point? Well, so it was interesting. Last, yesterday we were talking to Bruce Gradkowski, who is Our, another buddy, replacing Marcy. Zach, yeah. And he and he said something interesting. Don't worry, Zach. No one can ever replace. That's him. true. Not not in our hearts. So he said something great. He said, "Oftentimes in quarterback play, being decisive is better than being right." Mm. And again, being 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 unable to be decisive is 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 a way in which the defense puts themselves in an offensive position. And because we know offense matters so much in the NFL, that's how you win, right? In addition to being able to take advantage of the few mistakes that the Bradys and the, and the Mahomes make. Well, that's the other thing, too, is when you practice, you're, most people are practicing their optimal situation. Yep. When you take them out of that optimal situation, they all of a sudden have less practice hours with that. Like, they, there's many ways to think about it. Uh, what I want to close this out with is the really interesting question here, which often even people who can grasp and are on board with coverage being more important – have a hard time with, which is how do I apply this to team building? Mm-hmm. And we are in lockstep with how we do this, but often even people in our own building are like, you're kind of crazy with that. So from a draft perspective, 
from a pass uh, sorry from a uh, free agency perspective there's a couple things that I that are really important and just because pass rush is stable just because we're better at predicting that pass rushers are going to be good and we're not good at predicting that coverage guys are going to be good relative to that doesn't mean that we just avoid coverage yeah. guys because we don't know it actually means the opposite you need more coverage players to be successful that's one thing and because you're not as sure you need to take that many more shots yeah. it doesn't change coverage is still going to be valuable yeah. whether you pick coverage players or not so the idea that you would all of a sudden pick pass rushers at the top of the draft because you're more sure they're going to be good gets back to where we started with this, which is you don't get wins for picking good players. Well, that, and that was like the refrain from the Barkley folks. The Giants, you know, Giants fans wanted a trophy for having an all-pro running back, right? And like, you don't get one, right? You don't get one for having... And the We thing, are a pro Saquon Barkley podcast. We are. I want to make that very clear. We are. He's great. He, he and I but, had the same outfit, by right. the way, this past weekend. We don't, you don't get a trophy for... And like defensive ends are like these... Like, if you look at Daniel Hunter, right? Like yeah. he's a... He's, you know, he's a specimen, right? So you want those type of guys on your football team, right? Yep. But like the, the fact is, is we know actually that there's another side of the stability issue. The other side of the stability issue is if a guy's a good pass rusher in college and he's being undervalued somehow in the marketplace, you can get him in the third, fourth round, a la Daniel Hunter, a la Carl Lawson, Trey Flowers, Grady Jarrett, et cetera, et cetera, that you don't have to reach, right? And, and much like your issue with the, the Niners taking McGlinchey, one of the things also is you have a winner's curse. If you hit on a pass rusher, you're going to have to pay him you know, money very similar to Demarcus Lawrence, money very similar to Cleo Mack, and that's a curse, right? That's a winner's curse to some degree. So, um, I mean, we're not necessarily against taking a pass rusher if the marginal value is so much higher, right, than, than other places. But what we are saying is, like, you need to, you need to shoot a lot of shots with respect to the defensive backfield. And what's a, what's a beauty about it is that defensive backs can make a lot of valuable contributions in many different ways. You can have a deep safety. You can have a safety who plays strong safety in slot. You can have a safety who plays linebacker in strong safety. You can have outside corners, inside corners, you know, corners that can do both. A pass rusher can really, if he stinks at pass rushing, there's not really a whole lot more you can do with him. People are going to hear this and they're going to say, you hate pass rushers. No. Nope. It's not the case at all. Make sure that it's, you read the article. It's like article. pro Daniel Hunter podcast. Make sure that you read the article. Um, and if you have questions and you want to dive in, this is an awesome place to do so um, because it's still certainly an open question. And if, if there's one thing that I want to make sure people come away with, it's that that is our, that is our stance. So um, let us know if you've got any even-toned questions for the pod and we'll be happy to uh bring them up next week speaking of questions for the podcast we have a question for us from the dark web um it, it brought to us of course by sampo ranta sparkling water for men finally finally um flavor looking out for, for us flavor for this off season uh this week of the off season which is kind of a a dead one they actually took um you have to look at other sports sometimes to come up. Okay. You know, they'd realize that we're, we're from other sports. So it's uh, spousal insecurity strawberry uh, with just a hint of maybe the tides will turn at some point. And uh, I don't know who I'm talking about. You might be able to figure it out. But um, look, if you're a little insecure there because, you know, your husband or significant other plays a professional sport at a very high level and is very highly paid in, say, California, the northern part, um, you may be insecure. Grab yourself a Sampo Ranta. Um, question comes from at 903124S. Is there any way to tell which receiver has created more separation with respect to their air yard? So this is off the back end of a discussion about what's the most important thing that a receiver can do. It's the ability to run rub routes <laughs> and, screens. and screens for the win. Uh, and, and we're on the – you know, a lot of people um, – that are on the same side, but that it's that separation is really what wins in the NFL. But it's how you separate yourself. <laughs> it, it, generating open throws, whether it be by scheme or with the receiver, is going to greatly 
help your offense. Open throws, step or more separation, um, basically doubles your expected yards output relative to other types of separation. So the question here is which receivers are getting more separation, creating, look, we'll discuss that in a second, but which receivers are getting more separation further down the field, right? When their depth of target is down the field. Um, And so just to look at this, guys who created the most open throws uh, at or past the line to gain a shocking group here. Tyreek Hill. Purveyor of rub routes, Tyreek Hill. (laughs) Tariq Cohen, who just barely squeaks in the uh, target threshold. He really probably shouldn't be in this group. Uh, Sammy Watkins, Tyler Lockett, Kiki QT. And the interesting thing that that sticks out to me here are a couple of Chiefs and guys who are fast. Yep. Kiki QT, not that this is a fantasy podcast, but... When I do my when I do my uh, my play drafts, my uh, you know my best balls, I take Kiki QT every freaking time. Just a, it's free advice. Take it. Um, the the other thing is that Tyreek Hill could be in part a product of a great scheme, but also a creator or allower yes. of that scheme to right. be great. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's both, and I think the fact that Sammy Watkins is in there is. Also very interesting, right? Is he being? Is it just the scheme? Is it just Tyreek Hill? No, it's probably a little bit of both. Um, but that's a, a broad answer to that question. Yeah, that's, that's a great example of how. Uh, and I, I hate to continue to do this, but it's a great example of how great Andy Reid is. This is fair. All right, we're gonna close it out with a season review slash look ahead. Hopefully, more of a look ahead. For the Miami Dolphins. Oh, yeah. This is our, our hot take of the week. So we've had a, a week of hot takes, but I feel like this is the scorchingest. Okay. Oh, I think the Miami Dolphins, our team of the week, have benefited from the AFC East more than any team in the, in the league, including the Patriots. Uh, that's a very hot take. Please continue. Well, because people always give the Patriots crap because they win... Uh, you know, all these games because they got six games a year in the AFC East, and they don't look at the fact that they normally beat the other teams too. Mm-hmm. Kansas City being one of them. I think they lost to Pittsburgh this year, but whatever. The Dolphins, 7-9 and nine a season ago, if you just added up their team wins from a war perspective, they had 2.75 wins. Our team full of replacement players is three wins, meaning their average player was a below replacement level player last year, and somehow they won seven games. In 2017, they went 6-10. and 10. They had about 3.76 war wins. And in the Gaze's first year of 2016, when they went 10-6, and six, they lost in the playoffs to Pittsburgh. They had 6.74 wins. How does that happen? You know how it happens. It happens because you are not a very good team, but because you play four games against other teams that aren't very good, you can, you can get home. Because New England doesn't have these huge discrepancies between, like, you add up their wins. And, like, this is kind of a measure of luck, right? If your team's full of wins, but you don't win, you were unlucky. Your team's not full of wins. You get a bunch of wins. You were lucky. There's some coaching element to it. So do we look at Gaze and think of, of Gaze as better than he is? Kind of. But for me, it's looking at basically, like, does your schedule give you an opportunity to be lucky a lot? And I think in the case of the Dolphins, absolutely. Okay, I'm going to flip the script on this one. I think that you are correct, and ultimately that has really hurt the Miami Dolphins. Sure. In terms of actually getting something. Of actually uh, being a viable franchise yes. that is competing for anything worth anything. Right. The, the worst thing that can happen really to you is the 2016 year for the Dolphins in that you're bad. And Buffalo in 2017. The, yep. the worst thing that can happen to you often is being bad, but having like 2016 you know, my, uh, Detroit Lions, et cetera, et cetera. I do agree. Like, that, those are, that is a good point. Um, and because I think you're spot on. And when you said this to me, I had the same reaction, which was I actually think that's really hurt them because, look, they're a terrible team and they're not getting that much better. Um, although we're going to talk about this in a second, they may have been able to sort of swindle an yeah. extra top 10 pick, right? Yeah, With great. the Rosen yeah. deal. So, Tides could be turning despite this. The Dolphins last season were 7-1 and one in one-score games and 0-8 oh and in games decided by nine points or more. Is that good? I, it's not great, Bob. Um, we, have a, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about the, 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 the Dallas Cowboys under. 
they're very similar in the sense that Dallas a season ago was one in you know they were one in three in games decided by you know more than a score and you know sort of all their games are sort of clustered in this like you know could go either yep. way type of situation that's why they're more of an eight and eighteen than the the ten and sixteen they pur- you know purported to be last year. Let's let's talk about their future prospects a little bit, um, and let's start with with Rosen here. So, the Rosen thing we've talked about a lot, but let's start from this perspective. If we had a team we were in charge of, and we needed a quarterback, or even if we didn't really need a quarterback, where would we value Josh Rosen? What would we have given up for Josh Rosen? A lot more than than Miami gave up for him. Um, there were rumors that Miami was going to give up 48 for him. And ultimately, and we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast, they were able to get New Orleans to chase, right? New Orleans without a first-round pick. They got New Orleans to trade up from 62 to 48, a 52.5% win for the Dolphins if you assume any position there, a over 60% chance if you assume a quarterback is picked there, which it eventually was with Rosen being the 62nd pick. The great move for Miami. I think it really does show in many ways that they're they're sort of building anew and, and in terms of like process. Now we have to obviously determine whether or not this is noise and or just you know, one team making a bad decision by definition means the other team made a good one. So um but this this was certainly a good process, I think, for the Dolphins. I brought this up many times in talking about Rosen, but I will do it again because I think it is useful and instructive. When we project quarterbacks from college to pro, the biggest factor is the situation in which they enter. And we have seen countless times where a very terrible situation draws out the worst in a quarterback that probably isn't very terrible. Case in point, the Rams with Jared Goff in his rookie year. And the similarities there are very stark. To begin with, the, the kind of what these quarterbacks bring coming out of college was, look, they could make the, the big throws that are there. Yep. They can put them on the money. They'll sit back in the pocket and they'll dice you up. And with that comes the, well, what happens if that pocket doesn't exist? So in terms of quarterbacks that have faced the highest rate of pressure in under 2.5 seconds. So you think about the things that you really just can't control. Yep. And you're a rookie quarterback. Jared Goff, 27%. Josh Rosen, 26.7%, both top 10 figures in PFF history. Um, And those numbers just aren't going – you're not going to sit under pressure as a rookie that much uh, in less than 2.5 seconds and be successful. So to me, the situation is, well, it's going to be very different because you can't help but not be a 10 worst pass protection team in the entire uh, history of, of the NFL. Yeah, and you know they didn't do a ton in terms of you know in free agency of update upgrading their offensive line, but they did in the draft. They got Michael Dieter from Wisconsin, uh, Isaiah Prince from Ohio State in rounds three and six. So they're they're certainly you know in addition to Christian Wilkins, a defensive tackle from Clemson, they you know they really did do a good job of sort of fortifying the interior. They did not have a, you know they Ted Larson last year was their second least valuable player, a quarter a win loss versus replacement. He's gone. That should be just an uh, addition by subtraction. Um, you know, Mike Gusecki is a rookie tight end. He'll probably get better. So he's going to get a better situation. But at the same time, like the Miami, the, the offense was 29th in pass offense and defense EPA. So this isn't, this is a team that needed to rebuild. Sure. And, and the thing with Rosen is what's interesting is this is sort of like a no risk situation for them. He gets to play. If he struggles, like they'll probably do a pretty good job, um, of, you know, being able to see if he's worthy of being that quarterback in the future. If he's not, they're going to they're get an op- another opportunity. Um, if, and, and they didn't trade. You know, They didn't move up for one of these quarterbacks last year, so they're going to have their full allotment of draft picks plus a 2020 second-round pick from New Orleans next year to, to have some ammunition to get the quarterback should Rosen not work. Josh Rosen and the Cardinals last season generated nearly 10% fewer open throws than the league average. Yeah. That that's, is, uh, that's bad, right? Uh, their scheme was... Uh, an absolute disaster. Yeah. I mean, they had Mike McCoy, who has been a bottom of the barrel offense yes. coordinator by our rankings for a while. They then throw poor Byron Leftwich in there. They have their best offensive weapon, which is David Johnson, whose best 
offensive component is his ability to actually get downfield and catch passes, running the ball straight up the middle over and over again. Rosen is in third down, so he has just absolutely no shot of succeeding on. So I am throwing that out. The only thing that happens is you have one less year on his contract. Is that that big of a loss? No, not really. Right, What you have is an asset that was valued as a top 15 player, and that valuation should not all of a sudden go out the window. Um, so the Dolphins, I think you can't help but say things are really pointing in the right direction, especially because, as you mentioned, they play in yeah. the AFC East. They so four. they are going to have an opportunity to, you know, they're not going to reach the Patriots level, but to vault very quickly um, if, they, if Josh Rosen turns out to be a, a decent quarterback. Well, and we know that... You know, the wide receiver position is a big deal. Albert Wilson was the most valuable player on the Dolphins last year, despite missing a ton of games. What does he do? He takes short passes. He turns them into big gains. Kenny Stills as well, one of the top-graded guys. So I, there are some pieces in place for Miami. They were good in many ways because their quarterback position was bad, but the shorter passes, you know, Kenyon Drake against the uh, you know, Patriots, everybody will remember, but Albert Wilson against the Bears, you know, Kenny Stills against the Raiders, for example, like they have uh, Joaquin Grant as also another like big playmaker. They re-signed uh, Devontae Parker, who I think, you know, sh- has shown something at times. Um, so their receiving core is not terrible. Again, if they can get some protection up front, if they can get some positive game scripts, which I think was one of Gaze's best traits was that they were in a lot of games. And so like they never like put Tannehill in a position to look absolutely dreadful, except for maybe week 17 where he had them against uh, Buffalo, which was a big L. Um, but, you know, I, there, there is going to be. They're going to be an interesting team here. They're over under for wins uh, as of a couple of days ago, but four and a half. I've seen it at five as well, but the four and a half is going to cost you about a buck fifty. Our number is more around six for a lot of the reasons you got you said, which is, look, they gotta, you know, they could <laughs> win these games against Buffalo yeah. and New York Jets. Although both of those teams think they're better too, so they could also right. lose all four of those games. Um, but, but where do you stand? I hate. Uh having to eat all that juice i mean that is a lot but you're gonna luck into four wins so um i think you have to you have to take the over there um and it's not my favorite thing in the world i'm not rushing to the casino to to place that bet but i think you've just got to look at it from look if they win four games they're you know probably the one of the worst two teams in the nfl do you really think they're one of the worst two teams in the NFL? I, I don't think you the only variable here is whether or not they are tanking. Like, because that's that would yeah, be. Yeah, and I have where no do you stand on that. Well, so so we talked about this before the draft. I'm less inclined to believe that they're tanking this year um, because they have. They, I mean, they have a new coach. They have a new coach. We you know we saw it with Buffalo, right? Like, you can't just turn the the the, the switch off, right? And Buffalo with with McDermott's first year as well. Um, but it is tough, right? Because you wonder in those late season games, you know, if they're at five and ten in week seventeen or so, or, well, that they'll be over. But like, let's say they're three and three and ten, three and eleven. All the, you got, you got to get them to two more wins. Are they going to have the the will? You know, sort of like the are they going to like shut guys down on IR late in the season? They're not going to try to lose games. But the question is, is are they really trying to win them? Um, given the price, it wouldn't be one of the top ten. You know, win totals I would bet on, but if you're inclined to, I would. This is an implicit bet against the Jets and the Bills, and I like the latter a lot. Um, and so uh, that would be my lean. Uh, would be my lean there. Yeah, obviously, the Super Bowl, there's you're a plus you know twelve hundred fifty, so that's that's probably too much. It'd be a no for or twelve thousand five hundred. Sorry, and and so that's too much. But their strength of schedule is pretty easy. Twentieth in PFF Elo, so. Um, yeah, if you're so inclined, it's not and terrible. Offense is faced. They got Brian Flores in there. All of a sudden, they oh. they pick things up there. Uh, what is your over under for number of um, number of meaningful snaps for Ryan Fitzpatrick? Oh, meaningful. Point five. Ooh, but I do think he gets play, but like. Yeah. But there's like almost no incentive to play him because you, you're not trying to win. You're not right. like Tampa where Dirk right. Cutter's trying to win. And you're not and, – and Rosen, like for all of his faults last year, didn't get hurt despite all that nonsense. It's actually impressive. So, 
so I think I think Tannehill's probably on the bench. Or sorry, not Tannehill. Uh, Fitzpatrick's on the bench. Tannehill as well is on the bench, but in Tennessee. So uh, you know, I think that he you know doesn't play a whole lot. Anything else with the Dolphins? I think that's. A- yeah, I think, like I said, I I think this is a team that you know a couple of years from now we're going to wonder what this all meant, right? Like what what this time uh, uh, in their history all meant. I think the Christian Wilkins pick was interesting. I'm assuming they didn't have any takers for it, mm-hmm. um, but it, they don't feel like they're a D tackle away. The league, the league's opinion of uh, Dwayne Haskins is interesting because he was there at 13. Right. Dolphins did not take him; they took a defensive tackle instead. No one traded up for that spot, which means either the Dolphins' price was too high or no one wanted it. Yeah, that's a it's a pretty interesting it, it pretty interesting outcome. Yeah, it's an interesting one because it, it's it gets back to what we've talked about a lot today, which is the you know this player could be successful but might not necessarily translate to wins on the field. Let's close it out with a little uh, Cincy YMCA talk here. Oh, yes. Um, we, had, we had a little time away from the gym because mm-hmm. of travel. And uh, we came at a swim Thursday once again today. And the sauna at uh, – sorry, the steam room. Oh, you picked a different story than I was going to, so I got one too. Perfect. The steam room at the, the Y in Cincinnati is generally pretty decent as long as you turn it on. The issue is that it's a little small, you know, so you're in some close quarters. Uh, so we're in there today, and generally I think the etiquette is you sort of, you know. Keep to yourself. Keep to yourself, yeah. Um, we had uh, a couple of bros come in with some uh, essential oils, eucalyptus. And they got a little excited about their eucalyptus oils. They asked the group that was in there if they could... Put some some eucalyptus in the in the steam pipe. Of course, no one cared, and so they just you know went to town with a little eucalyptus in the Cincy YMCA. Uh, this isn't necessarily me hating on that. Uh, I just think steam room etiquette is an interesting one. Yeah, I I thought you were going to go with like Monday this week when we got done working out and we were talking about. <laughs> I believe it was Sean McVay. Which sorry, Sean, but uh, uh, an old guy you know, half dressed comes over, decides he needs to weigh in literally and comes over and says, you know, uh, you take an average peewee coach here in Cincinnati is a better coach than some of these NFL guys. And to that, I tell any coach that's listening to this, we don't think that I, did you say anything? I remember just being, I just laughing. I think we literally both just walked out on him. Yeah. Like we were I just mean, like, the hell are you talking there's some great takes out there i still remember when we were visiting here before the baker mayfield draft and we got a browns fan the uber to neil's house uber for an hour told us about josh allen and winning with defense and you can get corners anywhere it was pretty great i don't think i have any other uh cincy why stories i just no it's been pretty it's been pretty buy some lavender some some eucalyptus just start walking around the gym dropping uh dropping essential oils around anyways check out the pass rush versus coverage article we've got a little roundtable discussion with our buddy solly wilcotts who is uh in the building today um and if you've got questions for next week hit us up enjoy your summer peace out peace out